Did you know that the Constitution of Kenya explicitly guarantees the right to adequate food? The Constitution states that every person has the right to be free from hunger and to have adequate food supply of acceptable quality. Our guest today will be telling us more about this and how the work that they do is geared to ensure that this part of the constitution is implemented. Welcome. On this episode, I'm very excited to have our guest. Um, it's someone that I've wanted, I've been wanting to have for quite a while, and I'm happy that we're finally getting a chance to have this conversation. So, welcome, Felistas, to Farm to Table podcast. Thank you so much, Wamboy. It's also we've been postponing this, so I'm actually very excited to be on the show with you, and of course. To also get some insights from you, and as much as this, I'm here to contribute, but I'm also here to also learn from you. And I hope your listeners will enjoy the discussion. Yeah, I'm sure they will. So let's just dive in. Um, mm-hmm. Please introduce yourself to the audience. So my name is Felistas Mwalia. I work as a program officer at the Heinrich Ball Foundation under the Root to Food program. So basically, the Root to Food initiative is a it's an initiative or rather a project under the Heinrich Ball Foundation working towards the realization of the human right to food by proposing agroecology as a solution to achieving the human right to food in Kenya. Oh, great. So your work is mostly in agroecology. So my work is mostly on agroecology, but the work at Root to Food is a bit unique in comparison to all other organizations working on food security. Or basically mm-hmm. on the right to food, our work is more centered on a comms approach. Mm-hmm. It's more communication-centered, and uh, we also do a lot of advocacy. And when we talk about the root to food and when we talk about agroecology, one thing that we felt that was missing throughout throughout the work on food systems and agroecology was a rights-based approach. So mm-hmm. at Root to Food Initiative, we try to ensure that in as much as, yes, we work on agroecology, the rights-based approach is always part and parcel of the conversation. Because as you all are, as you... You might know almost Kenyans actually have no idea, but we all have a right to food as articulated under Article 43 of the Constitution, mm-hmm. which states that Kenyan has a right to be free from hunger and to have food of adequate quality. So if you notice, there are actually two aspects under that Article 43 mm-hmm. So there's the aspect of good quality and mm-hmm. there's also the aspect of no freedom from hunger. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Um, and you'll actually go to bed hungry. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, that's actually so contradictory, the fact that every Kenyan has a right to food. And yet, as of this year, about 5.4 million Kenyans are food insecure, and that's 32%. That's such a huge percentage of people to be food insecure. Mm -hmm. And that actually calls for action. It's either we change the approach, Mm because clearly the approach been using has not been working because why year in year out have we been seeing the numbers increasing so we mm-hmm. can't continue doing business as usual so it's either we change the approach or the numbers will keep on rising yeah that is true and so in your work uh, you said you do mostly advocacy work what would you say is the biggest cause of food insecurity in kenya today and i know that's like asking you 
that's a very wild question to ask as someone who is in this industry yes. but what is what would you say yes first i need to mention that i'm actually not an expert per se when it comes to like food insecurity in as much as yes, i've done the work but i know mm-hmm. there are so many people who have the expertise to share more insights on some of the biggest causes of food insecurity but based on the experience that i have first it's mm-hmm. very important that we have two different types of food insecurity mm-hmm. so we have i hope i'm allowed to speak in swahili <laughs> to even make it more easy and more understandable that's fine one boy yeah okay you can although my audience is yeah. very diverse ah, like, okay. yeah okay. yeah so actually we have two types of food insecurity so we have the permanent one mm-hmm. not oh my god not permanent we have the transitory and we have chronic hunger mm-hmm. chronic hunger is a type of hunger that exists all the time actually it's there but it's mm-hmm. it's like hidden hunger it's never it never gets a lot of attention Right. You find that Kenyans can afford food. Unapata if you go to like most informal settlements, some people sleep hungry, some people go to bed hungry, but does it get attention the same way? This other type of hunger when there's famine, let's say yeah. there's drought, this number yeah. of livestock have died, and then photos of emaciated people. That's mm. the type of hunger that's that gets attention even from the government and even from media. But this is that there's this other type of hunger that has always been there, but it's mm-hmm. hidden. People don't talk about it, media don't talk about it, people are struggling to afford food. And so those are some of the causes of hunger that we need to be talking about. Because when you hear most people talking about the causes of food insecurity, you hear people talking about climate change. Mm. But people actually you know the aspect that many Kenyans are actually struggling to buy food. There's also lack of political will. We need mm-hmm. to look at the real and real structural causes of hunger. We also have lack of political will. Yes. Or minimal, minimal political will. When you look at the budget allocation, where is it allocated to? You find that the government actually supports the farmers who are actually practicing. Mm-hmm. Not all farmers actually benefit from the government's, the, how do I say it? Not the government programs. Really Yes, not all farmers really benefit because if you look at it, you find that some farmers actually do agroecological things. Mm. But when you see what the government is proposing as solutions to hunger, mm. they're always talking about increasing supply, increasing production, increasing production, increasing production, increasing yeah. production, fertilizer, pesticide. But how about a farmer who doesn't practice that type of farming? How, mm-hmm. is they, how are they benefiting? And then at the end of the day, the fact that the government is always focusing on production, 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 mm. some of the other aspects are really not not the government really i don't want to say ignores mm. but they tend to like focus so much on production yeah. and forgetting the sides yeah and it's supposed to be like a holistic approach when it comes to like looking at the solutions yeah that's true because, because yeah because even sustainability hunger. is something that is not never spoken about when it comes to yeah. agriculture it's just a matter of let's produce more maize let's produce more beef yes Mm. And then, you know, you let me just quote one because we have like major myths that mm. we have demystified actually as root food, mm-hmm. and perhaps I can demystify them here. Please. The first one is that we find that what we've just spoken about that food security is a problem of mm. increasing the increasing the supply of food, yeah. but in reality, it is a problem of demand and affordability. It does not matter if this food available to buy. To buy or not, if that food is too expensive, if that food is too expensive, then you're not solving the problem. Yeah, that's true. 
the producers will be getting money, but at the end of the day, how will they be able to also improve their livelihoods? Because not not so many people will also be buying from them. Yeah, actually, the producers will not we will also not be getting money because they are producing yeah. and yet the, the 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 no one can be able to buy the food. Yeah. Mm. And then number two, there's the notion of adequate. It's entirely mm. inadequate. Food security is understood in terms of staple food crops. For example, maize, the focus should be on proper nutrition mm-hmm. and the right to choose widely from our dairy, meats, fruits, and vegetables, as well as staples. Mm-hmm. So you find that the problem is kunanja ju akuna maindi enough, but mm. it's more than that. Yeah. Kunanja, let's give them maize. It's more than that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Number three, food security is often is often equated with the availability or distribution of emergency food aid. The right to food is not the right to be fed. It's the right to feed oneself in dignity. Mm. Mm. And then, of course, what I had also said about sensationalist media reporting during crisis heavily influences our understanding of food security. Chronic yeah. food insecurity is not mine not starvation or extreme hunger. It means a person on a regular basis cannot access sufficient and nutritious food in order to live a meaningful life. Yeah, and you know and when... You have this right here. What came to mind when you said that, mm-hmm. I just realized during this time when in Kenya we've been having, like our economy is currently just, you know, the inflation has gone high, the money is not enough, and a lot of families mm-hmm. actually are may not be considered as food insecure yet they've decided to have yeah. less meals so now they've decided let's keep lunch and let's only have dinner yeah. i think that's food insecurity that is not captured by the media for sure and it doesn't get a lot of attention even when you look at the government programs for mm-hmm. even even most people are not even able to like have a balanced diet that's also really problematic yes yeah yeah because when we speak about food security it's not just about quantity it's also about quality so if your yeah. if your meal is if your meal is just a cup of white porridge then that's carbohydrates you your your food insecure yeah mm. Mm. yeah yeah i get it because well, there's so many issues yeah, mm-hmm. there's so many issues, and perhaps we can, if that's okay with you, there's mm-hmm. a video we did as Root to Food Initiative, and also our website, whereby we share so much on some of the causes and of food insecurity, looking at the real and underlying structural causes of hunger and food insecurity. We even had a chance to go to Marsabit. We had that mm-hmm. conversation with people from Marsabit, and for them, they said, in as much as yes, mm-hmm. this famine in year in year out, that should actually be, they should actually be an action from government because they're already aware that this happens here in year out, here in year out, here in year out. We yeah. can't be saying here in year out, people in Marsabit need food. Here in year out, let's change how people in Marsabit operate. Let's change the livelihood of pastoralism. You can't change that. That's already a system that they already have. They're not projects. Mm. But pastoralism is a whole system. And when looking at solutions, you should look at some of the issues like policy inequality. That's one thing that mm. actually came out of the discussions we had with the community in Marsabit. Look at policy inequality, look at government programs. Do they really benefit them? And then what's the approach that the government is using? Yeah, because you can't tell me that your approach is... And I always say, this is... I always try to have a balanced conversation on my podcast. So, for example, when Mm -hmm. we speak about 
um, relief food. I understand that at that particular time, those people Important. will benefit from that relief food because they probably haven't had a meal in a couple of days. But then after the relief food, can we do something so that we make sure that mm. they will never need relief food again? That's the same. Mm. Oh, this is just, I'm digressing a bit, but that's my, that's my take on biofortification where it's like, Yes, at this time, maybe these children are very undernourished and they do require biofortified foods. But can we then, after that, go back and ensure that they're being able to grow green vegetables, grow healthy grain that they can give to their children to ensure that the next, you know, that the children born after that will not need to receive that relief food. Yeah, and it's also the other aspect is that it should not be us, or basically it should be the government mm. imposing into them, but also having like a consultative process. Because right. we also suppose when you talk about their food, there's also the cultural aspect. Mm. And decide people like Marsabit, No, that's mm. not what they're used to. So we also have to respect the cultural aspect. Even when it comes to food aid, you're not supposed to just give people food for the sake of giving them food. Yeah, absolutely. Because those communities, actually, all communities have their own cultural dispositions. And yeah. For example, like the people in Pokot, you'll see that a man has maybe five hundred goats, but his children are sleeping hungry because those goats have, you know, a cultural significance to him beyond you. You you would look at it from your perspective and you'd be like, yeah, just feed your children your goats, but you know that's not what they are culturally predisposed to do. Mm. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. So anyway, just to move on, um, in your work, what would you, what have been some of the biggest lessons that you've learned while doing your advocacy work at Route to Food? You can't work on your own. Mm-hmm. Something we realized, you can't work on your own. There's power in building coalitions, there's power in building networks. Mm-hmm. And there's also power in, in as much as at the end of the day, the government, the people who we are speaking to. So it's also good to have a good relationship with yeah. the different key stakeholders. And also one major, major lesson is the fact that media, media, media is very important. Media mm-hmm. is very important. Mm, media is important. Because right. at least I can say the change in terms of, you. I don't know if you've noticed that, but even when you look at social media or generally, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. The conversation on hunger it's mm-hmm. slowly changing. Chronic hunger is also getting a face in the media spaces at some point. It is. So the conversation right. is also shifting. So there's power in media to be sincere. Even the work that we've also done work on pesticides, mm-hmm. which was covered heavily on media. Yeah. And media really helped both mainstream and social media. Yeah, that's true. And Actually, the thing that I noticed is at the beginning of this year in Kenya, we were having such horrible, horrible famine and drought because it was it was like the it was like the fifth or sixth consecutive drought that we were having. And instead of how normally the media covers it, which is like, okay, today is Monday, we've had a feature on drought, and that's it now. Like we we're not going to cover that anymore. They really consistently covered what was going on and they covered different aspects of it. They covered mm. the people who are losing their livestock in Narok, for example. They also covered the people, the children in Tarakanidi who are skipping school because they were hungry. The people who were mm. eating dead livestock because they didn't have food, you know. So the coverage was so diverse. And I think that was very important in raising awareness. Yeah. Mm. 
but also the other bit is also getting one important thing that i learned is getting to convince the general public it's mm-hmm. hard mm-hmm. but you just do it slowly by slowly yeah yeah but it's always hard trying to convince the public but pole pole to <laughs> yeah I, I yeah yeah i think it's just the situation i don't know what situation it is but it's the matter of where i am um i'm having three meals a day my life is going on well what do you it's like apathy you know there's such a level of apathy and mm. maybe this is not unique to kenya or maybe it is but it's at this point where it's like i'm really just trying to make ends meet for myself so you may tell me that somebody else is suffering but i don't know what to do you know so i'm apathetic to their situation yeah yeah mm. yeah so anyway let's move on to some of your success stories what are some of the successes that you've experienced in your work so far So far as I have mentioned on the media seen the conversation shifting that's a big success. Mhm. Been on social media seen the conversations changing that's good. Mm-hmm. Um we work on pesticides so some of the actions being taken by the pest control products board. Mhm. We've drawn seven active ingredients from the Kenyan market so it's actually a good thing. And also just seeing civil society organizations who are, who are also just working on the development not even the yeah in the, on the humanitarian aspect mm-hmm. also be keen to stand more on issues around rights mm-hmm. and trying to approach their work specifically on food security from a rights based approach mm-hmm. and also the government's been open to listen yeah yeah that's that's yeah. great and i feel like i yeah. wouldn't be doing this this conversation justice if i didn't ask you to speak more about the rights based approach to food security please just tell yeah. us a bit more about that because i feel like a lot of us are not aware including myself i'm aware that On we what? all have a right to food but yes please tell us more about how do you conduct the advocacy work in a rights based approach rather than you know a funding approach for example or some other approach so basically partnerships And maybe mm-hmm. just like we looked to mention one success is us being on your podcast to Amboi. It's not easy for people to reach out to us. That, that means that as true to food then we are, we've already established ourselves as a thought leader and mm-hmm. having someone on our website and being interested in the work that we do it's a big success. So mm-hmm. it's the small small things that right. actually build a big yeah yeah. Yeah. So as I was saying what had you asked um, how we do our advocacy work mm-hmm. in a rights based approach partnerships okay we try as much as possible to ensure in as much as we come from a it's like a donor organization but we respect mm-hmm. everyone we work with we try and ensure that we provide a platform that we don't mm-hmm. we don't date but rather have a discussion with the people we work with mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. also that's a tricky question on how we do it on a rights based approach because our work is very the work that we do is right it's 100% rights based. Mhm. Na sisi sema tu we go kutetetea watu juu ya nja but for us we try and influence policies but looking at policies from a rights based approach. Mm-hmm. Like you find security policies been outside there even there's a bill on the there's a food security bill that's supposed to be passed in parliament by 
Senator, I think it's Senator Kamuren, Charles Kamuren. I'm not so sure if it's a senator or a governor or an MP. Mm-hmm. And if you look at it, you find that, yes, he's talked about the right to food. But if mm-hmm. you do proper analysis and dig deeper, you find that, yes, the right to food is there. But mm-hmm. it's just the definition. But inside the report, there are a rights-based approach is missing. Right. And that's what's happening most food security bills, food security policies, food security proposals, mm. even at the ministry level, how the how food security is, is a task for Ministry of Agriculture alone. Because at the end of the day, if you talk about food security, the right to food, there are so many aspects that cut across. Mm. We have the environment aspect, how is that food grown? Right. Why is the environment, why is the Ministry of Environment, why are you know, they not talking together? There's mm. also health aspect, why is Ministry of Health? health? Mm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I feel like having food security as a task for Ministry of Agriculture alone, it's a mm-hmm. bit. Mm, yeah, there's a disconnect. Honestly, yeah. food is very wide. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, food is very wide. So okay, according to Ministry of Agriculture, there's so many issues. Mm. Because Ministry of Agriculture, for them, the solution is production, production, production. Production, 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 production. That's true. Right. And the then it doesn't apply to them because for them it's all about producing food. It's and about producing food yeah. and and also they they also consider the econo- like what's the what's the government earning from this food production mm-hmm. as opposed to you know starting from the basics, which is does everyone have access to food and all of that. But yes. Even to just add on to your point, I get what you mean that it's a difficult question to answer because as opposed yeah. to, let's say, for example, a financed, a finance-based approach, which would be we raise funds to support certain aspects of the food system. But when it comes to rights, the only thing you can do is tell somebody that it is your right to have food, but beyond their I don't know, yeah. maybe policy is the best thing because if, if there's policies to ensure that everybody has their right to food then maybe that so we way. actually we actually don't have a right to food bill we don't have a framework law what we have is just the, what is in the constitution mm-hmm. which it's is not a over sentence yes <laughs> yes, mm-hmm. yes but at least we at least we're doing good at least we have it in the constitution that's true at least we have that in the constitution mm-hmm. so we actually got off yeah yeah that's true but then yeah. mm-hmm. Yeah, it's good to always look from the positive, but then um, you also recognize that there is still such a long way to go. For me, the thing that really gets me is whenever I look at the statistics, <laughs> it, it just yes. always just, I'm just always speechless when I look at the statistics. Because what do you mean that 32%, that's almost a third of the population is food insecure? What do you mean? With a third, it's such a huge statistic, you know? Yeah, yeah. So for me, it's like yet we have a right to food, and the government is supposed to protect, respect, and fulfill. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> and it's always so funny when they report about the numbers. It's like we are always proud of saying mm. oh, we have these many people who are dying, who are hungry, who are food insecure, mm. who are in need food aid. Yeah, yeah. It's it's a it's a difficult situation to like contend with. So yeah. um. Maybe one the way I could mm-hmm. just add before yeah. we go to the last question on how okay. we also do the advocacy work. Just mm-hmm. maybe one thing that I just add is just being always being active and participating in public participation. Mm-hmm. Even Kukuya Naizi stories are budgets. Mm-hmm. But how, how are they always called? I don't have the correct word. 
public participation for budgets uh-huh that's always done yearly it's something that people could actually participate in like for root to food we try as much because we have a root to food alliance mm-hmm. with different members from different counties so we try as much as possible to ensure that the alliance members participate from the county level even last year before the elections they say ADP process mm-hmm. we tried as much as to try to voice out what our issues and ensure that they were also captured and one success story is there's a project we're working on in in the county with farmers there mm-hmm. they public participated in a public mm. participation organized by the county on right. the CIDP we participated and for some of the issues they raised they were actually incorporated in the CIDP mm-hmm. it was just following through this year and seeing what they really captured on the annual mm. annual development plan mm-hmm. and ensuring enough budget allocated to some of the proposals that they had suggested for the year Right. So small, small things. Because at the end of the day, if you start looking at a bigger picture, yes, it's good looking at a bigger picture, but also mm-hmm. small, small things also count. We might we might see them as small, but at the end of the day, they're not small. They end yeah. up benefiting families. They end up benefiting us as Kenyans. Yeah, I agree. And also, like what you said, with one of your biggest lessons is it's really important to collaborate because you it's can't do it. Yeah neither of us can do it on our own you know no one sector can do it on its own so i think it's very important for everyone to input whatever their contribution may be maybe you go and you give your opinion on something and you know it will make a change for the next and you're always learning every day mm. learning and understanding. so it's both ways you learn and you mm. also learn some things you thought that were actually correct to me yeah yeah so it's, it's also not easy and yeah and I, from last uh last season i had a guest who is a lawyer she's a food lawyer mm-hmm. and she was telling me that farmers a food are lawyer. yes a food lawyer okay interesting is she yeah. from kenya yeah she's kenyan does she work what organization does she work Where she works she work? for the government actually oh wow yeah yeah and so she was telling me that she works in creating policy so she was giving me an example of when the food safety draft policy yeah. was being written and during the public yeah. participation she said that the farmers were the most active members like in in that debate the farmers were the ones who had the most to say they are the ones who contributed a lot so yeah like you said public participation is very important don't just think mm. that it's also important for consumers because at the end of the day the people who end up eating that food yeah so then food safety is an important aspect because mm. we find that some of the we have here have residues of pesticides mm. where are we when these conversations are happening yeah, so you find that true. at the end of the day these are being developed mm. as he capture the needs of the consumers reason because we didn't mm. actively participate so yeah, it's important for us to be citizens yeah it's but important for down, us to to break that apathy because i feel like we are in mm. as kenyans we are really in a state of apathy right now in, in, uh, nobody is everyone is just i'm just trying to get by anything that is not affecting my and you know that's Imagine. affecting you but you're not anything that's not making you get money or anything you just i don't know <laughs> We need to get mm. out of that cycle of apathy and actually be active participants in our lives. Yeah. Yeah. Please tell us yeah. about some of the challenges that you've faced as an organization in your work. Hmm. Being advocacy is not work. Easy. 
Mm. I can imagine. It's not easy. As I've said, you learn and unlearn some things. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Also, quite being in a working working in a network is also very very hard. In as much as yes, it's important because you can do this on your own. Also, mm-hmm. coordinating networks is one of the hardest things. Yeah. Specifically in a country whereby, as you have just said, mm-hmm. people care less. Yeah. Specifically when you talk about food, imagine. Yeah. But at least I don't know. Maybe I can just say if there's a group I worked with, and I was mm-hmm. really, really impressed with their mobilization skills and everything else, and how they coordinate each on a two-week evolution. Mm-hmm. I think it was formed. I think last la- last year, we got a proposal in Parliament to increase taxes. I think so. I think it was last year, mm-hmm. and they came up with a hashtag and a whole campaign mm-hmm. on lower lower food prices which really trended and imagine mm-hmm. since then they have always been active mm-hmm. on talking about food issues that's great it's a group from the yeah it's a group from madara it's from the just social justice centers in kenya mm-hmm. and they work specifically on food they're called the njari revolution i'm just always impressed with their mobilization skills they're always mm-hmm. active talking about food talking about affordability of food talking about food safety mm-hmm. so it's quite interesting a group of people being inspired by some of the little things that we've been doing despite the challenges and being able to coordinate themselves because at the end of the day coordinating a group it's very it's hard it's difficult yeah it's difficult and also one thing one of the challenges honestly mm. doing advocacy if you want to see change tomorrow but change won't happen tomorrow it takes time yeah that's there true. are so many stakeholders involved in the whole process so mm. you will see change so you really have to be patient enough Mm-hmm. At times it can be very frustrating. Maybe asking yourself, ah, every day we wake up, we push this, we push this. Then why are we doing this? Mm-hmm. If there's no change, why then are we doing it? Yeah. Mm. Yeah, but I get it. Despite the challenges, the work is. I don't know. Just waking up every day, knowing that you're doing something to that's good for the society. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. It keeps on giving you the energy to even want to do more, and the hunger to want to change to do more yeah i agree with that mm-hmm. it's like it's difficult sometimes because you feel that you know am i even making a change but the, yeah. just the mere fact that you actually do want to make a change that's enough to keep and, you going yeah and then mm. one last thing is expect that you when you go for like serious meetings for instance with government per se mm-hmm. they always the but hey, uh, let me not say that way i mean to put it let's just continue <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, yes. you, you, you tell me that one off the recording. <laughs> yes, yes. Okay, so let's go to maybe... I, I forgot to ask, um, how would you like people to support with the challenges that you're facing? And I guess you've answered, which is like for people to actually be more active, participate and, you know, take charge. And we have the Route to Food Alliance. Mm-hmm. I can share with you the link. Please join, mm-hmm. join us in pushing for the realization of the human right to care, human right to food in Kenya. Join us, share with us your ideas on how we can improve, mm-hmm. what issues can we do as an alliance. Yeah. So yeah. I urge Kenyans into this podcast to kindly, kindly join the Root to Food Alliance. It's on the Root to Food website. Yeah. And just... currently have a membership of a thousand members. It's free. Mm-hmm. It's a pl- provide a platform for dialogues. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah, please share with me the link so that I can share them with my audience. 
Yes. Yeah. So let's now conclude with your parting shot and what you hope to see in the future of food security in Kenya and just in the world in general. What I would want to see in future is this is something that I'll, I'll copy paste it from someone who said it. Mm-hmm. And if you listen to this podcast, please forgive me, but I always look <laughs> at line. So we went for a meeting and he said what he wants to see in the future is a Sylvia's basket for everyone. Mm-hmm. So basically, Sylvia's basket is an organic farmer. Mm-hmm. She grows food sustainably without pesticides. She's called Sylvia Kuya. She's a farmer. Mm-hmm. And of course, where we operate in Kenya, where we mm-hmm. are, Organic food, see a kilamuto. Right. Not everyone can be able to afford organic food because even at a chakula, Kawaida Kenyans are really struggling to buy normal mm. food. Yeah. Non- conventionally. But this other option of having an organic food, it's of course out of reach for so many Kenyans. Mm-hmm. But in future, we hope that we wouldn't have a system whereby we've categorized that you chakula organic and chakula conventional. There's food for the rich and there's food for the poor. But mm-hmm. I really hope every Kenyan will be able to have safe, and adequate food in future basically a sylvia's basket for everyone yeah i agree and you know i've actually as i was preparing for this season of the show i read the sophie report the state of food security yeah yeah and the thing that really struck me and just broke my heart to be honest is the fact that you see how um in the past the rural areas were associated with subsistence food. farming Mm-hmm. So it is used to be like if you live in in the rural areas, you know that you're going to have you know food for yourself. You have maize in your backyard, whatever uh, green vegetables, even just things like managu terere. They used to grow so easily, but because of how, yeah. first of all, climate change, it's such a huge difference, and the way that, that rural areas are currently struggling. Now, even people in, in rural areas are buying as much food as people in urban areas. And you for me, that is so heartbreaking. And you know why, Wamboy? It's because mm-hmm. we also have this mentality whereby subsistence farming doesn't bring income. Because people want to farm big. People want yeah. to do big things. But there's yeah. this perception that actually subsistence farming, it's mm-hmm. not, it's not, it doesn't bring income. But at the end mm-hmm. of the day, it's still beneficial. It's very yourself, beneficial. You think about, yeah, yeah. It's very beneficial because at the very least, you know that your children are not going to be malnourished because you're going to be able to give them a, a skumawiki or a spinach from your garden. So you see yeah. now they're just relying on buying, um, you know, maize flour because that's our staple. And then you give your mm-hmm. child white porridge. Whereas yeah. you've, replaced, you've replaced green vegetables, you know, indigenous vegetables, managu, mm-hmm. terere, mrenda, all that with white yeah. porridge so for me that it really broke my heart and honestly i don't want to say it's um all based or all all to blame for people no longer seeing it as an attractive thing but because also the climate has really changed because whereas people would just plant and they would have food year round now it's like oh, the rains are failing constantly yeah yeah so anyway yeah that's just something to consider and also it's a way for government to now come in and figure out how can we help the people in rural areas have sufficient water to continue to grow food because first of all they're the ones who supplied the urban areas with food and secondly they were able to feed themselves and their families yeah Mm -hmm. yeah 
and we've got a long way to go we've we got such a long way to go we need to change we need to change the approach mm. focus on agroecological approaches to food and farming systems yeah that's true Thank you so much, Felistas, for coming. Um, That was helpful. Very helpful. You've really educated us because I feel like a lot of us are not aware that there is a rights-based approach to food security. I'm sure a lot of us will leave this conversation. I know I have left this conversation thinking about that. And yeah, I look forward to coming on your show. (laughs) Yes, very soon. Yeah, and continuing to have these kinds of conversations because as you said, we all just, we need to participate in our own right to food. Yeah. Yeah. Thank okay. you so much, Wangri. Thank you, thank you, thank you. You're welcome. Hope to speak and to you I'll share with you the materials. Yeah, please, please. Okay. And as usual, if you would like to be a future guest of the podcast or if you would like a more personalized conversation feel free to reach out to me at farm at gmail.com or on social media at farm to table podcast ke on instagram or farm to table podcast on twitter till next time <laughs>